At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Good afternoon, good day, thanks for tuning in to Line Drive Radio, another Wednesday edition here, September 8th, special Hall of Fame induction edition, unbelievable, here we are, September, the big guys are going in, anyway, yours truly Mr. Paul Cuthbert here, holding down the board in the great state of New York, and as always it's time to go out to the great city of Chicago and the great state of Illinois. And bring on my Line Drive Radio teammate, Mr. Tab Bamford. Tab, what's going down in Chi-Town? Well, Paul, I am uh, reveling in the joy that is being experienced across the nation today with the Baseball Hall of Fame induction ceremony as the nation of Canada celebrates Larry Walker becoming the second Canadian-born player to be inducted in Cooperstown. Uh, so, he he joins Ferguson Jenkins as the only Canadian-born players inducted. Joey Votto might be the third someday, but here we are. Big day in Cooperstown, New York. Always a, a magical day. An incredible place. If you haven't been, put it on your bucket list. Only two Canucks, eh? Uh, yeah, well, you know, it's, a, it's mostly <laughs> hockey. You know, Yeah, too busy playing, shooting the puck around up there, not hitting the ball. Yeah, well, you know, look, they, they've been shooting – balls lately too and Canada's had a nice run of really good players join the NBA in the last few years and and it's becoming a, a much stronger market for baseball but uh but hockey obviously number one up there but they're uh, they're celebrating Larry Walker today I mean he, he never played for the Blue Jays and even the Blue Jays put a tweet out this morning congratulating Canada's own Larry Walker so good for him yes. well, uh, well we'll spend some time today talking hall Good for them. Speaking of Canadian baseball, Blue Jays, six in a row, baby. Yeah. Getting a Making little angry. life interesting. A little angry up there, you know? Unfortunately for me and my, my Jacks. But, uh, yeah, man, uh, big day today. Hall of Fame uh, on the East Coast. 11, starts at 11.30 and the inductions go at 1.30. And, uh, yeah, we will get into it today. Derek Jeter, Larry Walker, Ted Simmons, and Marvin Miller as far as what we're going to discuss later on in the meat of the show. But it's all honor. Paul, in honor of Derek Jeter's induction, the Yankees have won two of their last ten. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's like they plan that or something. There's a strategy behind that because they 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 don't want 
they 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 don't want to take the headlines too much right now around this time. The Yankees just do that for their players, present and past. You know, even Garrett. You know, he's he's like, you know what? I, let me let me get a little banged up here and cause a little bit of a stir. But um, you know, Derek going in will make it all right. So it's no bad news no. here in the Bronx. Well, look, look, they're two and a half <laughs> games in front of the Blue Jays in the East. And the wild card at this stage, at the moment we record, and uh, they got seven games against the Blue Jays this month. So no problems, no worries. You know, hey, I, I, I I'm a firm believer that the Yankees are sliding just enough to give the Red Sox a whiff of hope, and then they'll let the Blue Jays sneak in the back door as the second wild card just to break the Red Sox hearts. That's that's the script I believe that's been handed out. <laughs> Could you imagine uh, if, if DJ wasn't going in today? You know, oh yeah, that's that's the memo that was sent out by the executive <laughs> assistant to the president, George Costanza, a couple weeks ago. <laughs> Never a dull moment. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm kind of surprised, but hey, look, hey, look, they're they're in a wild card spot. So well, that was a little Boston accent I think I just put in there. They're in a Uh-oh. wild card spot. Um, Wicked so, awesome. <laughs> so until they're out, um, we're all good here in the Bronx. They'll figure it out. They're doing it all season long. I'm, I'm not. Uh, I'm not jumping off the ship yet. And uh, I've got my Brewers to fall back on, and the Giants and the Dodgers. They've been having a lot of fun out in the West Coast too. Lots to talk about here. Uh, Tab Juan DeFranco, Frank Schwindel. You know, we're just talking about the Jays and uh, the wild card race, too. I mean, I know we've been talking about the Reds here the last couple of weeks as well, cooling off a little bit, too. But uh, where do you want to start, pal? You know, we can look across the divisions here. I mean, things are pretty much kind of the same, uh, but just getting a little more interesting. And uh, let's let's kind of go from there. And, and, man, you talk about, uh, you know, streaks with the Blue Jays here. Juan DeFranco is, uh, man, he's unbelievable. 36 now. And why don't you take it away? Because I know this is a kid. I got to hand it to you, Tab. You brought this kid up uh, a long time ago in a few episodes, Galaxies Far, Far Away, and here he is um, passing Mantle, and um, he's looking to make history, continue to make history. He I mean, he's something else. Yeah, I mean, we're, you know, on a Hall of Fame induction day, we're talking about Mickey Mantle. So last night, Wander Franco drew a walk because that's what he does. And so that's his 37th straight game getting on base which breaks Mickey Mantle's record. So now the all-time record for uh, players before their 21st birthday can't celebrate with a libation legally in the United States. The uh, record for on-base streaks by a player before his 21st birthday is now owned by active Wander Franco, who it's not supposed to look this easy. I mean, the kid has played in 60 games total in his career. He is 20 years old. And with that walk last night, he's been on base in 37 straight. It's ridiculous. And you look at his, you know, numbers right now, and it's, it is impossible to not be blown away by what this kid is putting together right now because, again, it's not supposed to look this easy. And the kid's got a 346 on base percentage, an 813 OPS, which is good. For a shortstop, 
that's good. Seven home runs, uh, you know, 35 strikeouts, 21 walks. Obviously, I think they'd like to see that swing and miss cut down. He's 20 years old. It's going to happen. He scored 49 runs in 60 games. He's already amassed 2.9 war in 60 games, which over 162 makes him a five-war player, which is exceptional. So, I mean, this this kid's the real deal. And, you know, you're a Yankee fan. We're going to talk Yankees today a good amount because of Jeets. But if you're the Yankees and you're looking at a team that right now is a nine-and-a-half game lead and this kid's just getting started – you know, it's kind of, you know, you've got the evil empire, as people have called him, and Brian Cashman has, you know, confirmed. Uh, you know, but the Rays just keep doing it, and they keep finding these homegrown guys to just plug in, and they look like they're seasoned pros before they finish puberty. So, uh, you know, Wander Franco has been absolutely incredible. He's special. Um, so good for him. The other end of the spectrum is... Uh, you know, a, a rookie who's getting a, a, a crack at it here because of, you know, massive defections at the trade deadline. And, and we've jested a little bit about the state of affairs with the Chicago Cubs um, and the fire sale that they had. But uh, Frank Schwindel, the first baseman, you're trying to figure out who the heck he is and where he came from, uh, was your National League Rookie of the Month in August. And yesterday was named your National League, not rookie, player of the week. Um, Cubs had a seven-game win streak snapped by the Reds last night. The Reds desperately needed that because they were, they'd were they lost seven of their previous nine um, and had made it interesting. They're now sitting in a dead heat with the San Diego Padres for the lead in the wild card. But, you know, Frank Schwindel, 29-year-old rookie, who is doing everything that you would want a kid to do when he gets a shot. Uh, and it was tweeted uh, a couple days ago here, Frank Schwindel became the second player in the expansion era to have a go-ahead RBI in the sixth inning or later in four consecutive games. The other, Hall of Famer Orlando Cepeda back in 1967. Great name. So you got 29-year-old rookie who is just blowing the world up right now, living the dream. Every time he gets on base, he's got this smile on his face like he just won the lottery. Uh, just, you know, you're the first baseman for the Chicago Cubs. And, you know, I don't have to tell you about what it was like trying to replace Derek Jeter in New York after 20 years. And Anthony Rizzo wasn't a Cub for 20 years, but it felt like it. And he'd earned a lot of respect, obviously, on the field with his playing off the field with what he's done in the community. And so replacing a guy of the caliber on and off the field of Anthony Rizzo was a tall order and Schwindel's done a really impressive job. So, uh, your two, your two streakers wearing their little green hat, uh, Wander Franco and Frank Schwindel making all sorts of headlines here, Paulie. Yeah. I'm a quick question on the two of these guys. Um, like, you know, both of these guys as hitters here more than anything. And I'm, I'm just kind of, I mean, you know, this is just me. You know how I do this tab. And I just kind of throw things out to get to take on it. As far as these guys coming in, you look at other sports, right? Guy comes into the NBA, you know, how he plays and stuff in terms of the level and the competition he's got to play with, whether he comes out of, the, you know, um, NCAA and goes right into it. And, and you can look at the certain kind of competition. It's very rare in the NHL. Uh, it's probably 
it's more recent. The last few years, just because of the talent and the way these kids are coming off the ice and they, they kind of can be successful, you know, whether it's a guy like, uh, you know, you go back, uh, you know, almost 15, 16 years with guys like Ovi and, and Sid who were just like prodigies or whatever. And then, you know, more recently uh, – uh, McDavid, and then you take a kid like Lafreniere on the Rangers who kind of really kind of struggled a little bit, not as big numbers. What I'm getting at here is uh, being impressed here by this uh, streak that uh, Franco's having and obviously the success now that uh, Schwindel is, is playing. Looking at the schedule in the, in the, in, in, in for both of them here in terms of the, the quality of play or whatever, I guess what I want to cut through the meat here with you is, is this any... Is this really on these guys as an individual what they're doing, or is there any way we can kind of look at this as maybe some of the competition that they're playing against? Is there any knock in terms of the pitching in the league, or um, you know the the the, the, the teams, <coughs> Pittsburgh Pirates, you know some of the other uh, you know as far as the the talent they're they're playing up against here for fans that you know maybe aren't watching the the game in game out and they see a name like Juan DeFranco and a guy like Frank Schwindel. Um, for all of us who are watching the games every week, compared to that, are these full merits of what's going on? Compare, you know, you talk, you take a guy like Mantle, right? So Franco just beats his record. You know, is, does it? Is there an argument there to have a discussion at the bar? Well, Mantle played so against some of the best guys. His streak was better. You know what I'm getting at? Yeah. Well, look, I, I think first off, I think you make a great point about. Um, you know, the way that guys are able to crack in and in different sports. And, um, you know, with the NBA, I think guys are playing a lot more, um, you know, high-level travel ball with the AAU stuff. And physically, we've seen guys at young ages be able to come in. I mean, it's been 25 years since Kobe came straight out of high school. You can't do that anymore, but you've got high school kids that are making the jump to the G League and trying to, you know, turn pro instead of playing the one year at college. We could do a whole other show on the one and done college situation in college basketball, but here we talk baseball. Um, in the NFL, um, you're looking at guys, obviously, there's no minor league system in the NFL, literally. But if we're honest, college football has been the minor leagues for uh, the NFL for years. And now they're starting to be compensated as such. They just announced this morning that the quarterback at Alabama is getting paid to do a podcast on Colin Coward's new network. So there is a minor league system. It's just not as clearly defined. And it's college. But guys are usually older because of the physical demands of national football league so you're getting rookies who are 22 23 24 years old sometimes um in baseball it is a much longer grind hockey you get drafted you can play a couple years overseas or go back to junior and maybe you grind it out in the ahl for a year but the minor league system is much more truncated than what it is in baseball baseball you got a limited number of spots you've got the draft which is replenishing with theoretically really good talent at least in the top couple rounds every year. And then you've got international signings, and you've got kids all the way from age 17, uh, in the case of Schwindel, you know, 28, 29 years old playing against each other. Um, so it's a much longer grind once you get hear your name called or if you're an international prospect, once you sign, it's a much longer grind to get to the big leagues. And you see videos all the time where these guys get the call. 
and their minor league manager will sit them down or they'll announce it in front of the team and they go crazy because it's so hard and you look, go watch movies like Bull Durham and you get an understanding of kind of, you know, obviously Bull Durham's a comedy, but it was very real in the sense that these guys are grinding and you'll have the flavor of the week get promoted and you'll have a 19 year old pitcher thrown to a 26 year old catcher. And then 19 year old will get there before the 26 year old will, if he ever does. So it's a much longer grind. And so I think that that's where the appreciation for these guys getting there comes from. In the case of Franco, you know, we talked about him on a previous show. He was the number one international prospect, number one prospect in baseball the last couple of years. I think a lot of people expected him to be a superstar. Uh, you know, I think it's poetic that we're talking about Wander Franco on the day that Derek Jeter goes into the Hall of Fame, not comparing the two players, but like if you get a chance, Paul, and if you haven't watched it yet, after the show, grab yourself a cold one and a box of Kleenex and go check the Yankees social media because they put out a tribute video for Jeter this morning. Yeah, I did see it. Narrated by, by Billy Crystal that yeah. is just, where did the dust come from? Like, I'm not a Yankee fan, and I was like, damn. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, outstanding. So highly recommend anybody listening to Line Drive Radio. If you haven't seen it yet, go find it. Watch it. Make sure you got a cold one and a Kleenex handy because <laughs> it, it's worth it. But like when you hear the scout talking about this guy's going straight to Cooperstown, he's not going to the University of Michigan, hail to the victors, valiant. The expectation with Jeter was that he'd be a star. The expectation with Franco was that he'd be a star, and he's lived up to that, I think, faster than anyone really expected. Schwindel is an under-the-radar guy who was claimed off waivers, basically, by the Cubs earlier this year. But if you look back at his numbers over the last five years, you know, he slashed, he had a two ninety eight average with three thirty six on base and five sixteen slugging and almost 1,800 plate appearances in the minors. So this is a guy who put up good numbers, but he was in a situation, and this is the other thing, that's different in baseball is if you've got a, a guy in that spot, the next guy might never be the next guy. And he's a first baseman in Oakland. Matt Olson's holding down first base. You know, it's like when the Cubs gave a, a big fat deal to Jason Hayward, they had nowhere to put Eloy Jimenez in right field. And they had Kyle Schwarber playing left, so he went. Uh, they had Javier Baez and Addison Russell at the time fighting over shortstop, so they were able to trade Glaber Torres. Um so sometimes it's just a matter of situation and getting a, getting a shot. And what you're seeing here, with in the and it's the complete opposite in the case of the Rays. They had a guy. We talked about it at length last week about Willie Adamas being a game changer for your fighting Milwaukee Brewers. <laughs> and that he's a special young guy. He's only, I think, 23, 24 years old. But they moved him to make room for Franco because they thought he was that special. So... Seeing and you got the opposite ends of the spectrum here. People expected Wander Franco to be a star. Lots of Cubs fans who cover the minors were like, Frank, what? Yeah. Who? And now the guy's got friends selling t shirts by the boatload that say Schwindy City. <laughs> Love like, it. So so it's a matter of get an opportunity and take advantage of it. I think no matter what sport you talk about, whether it's the National Hockey League, the NBA, what makes professional sports and college sports great is when the guy you've never heard of gets a shot and he performs and there's there's an every man that you can see in those relative nobodies that get a shot and do their thing that you you make it, it stirs that romance with the game and i think with baseball because of the grind as fans i think it's easier to appreciate the blood sweat and tears that a guy like schwindel put into it getting to the highest point and when he gets there 
getting the payoff. You know, we talked way back early in the season about Jared Kalanick being, you know, one of the top five prospects in baseball on him coming up with the Mariners and getting his lunch handed to him pretty good and having to go back down and work on some stuff and get himself right. Not every, you could be the number one guy in baseball. And if you come up, it doesn't work. You know, I don't have to tell Yankee fans about Brian Taylor. So you could be the, you could be a superstar on draft day and never turn out. And you could be a nobody and get a shot and earn yourself a spot and become a guy. And that's, I think what makes uh, the love affair with baseball, what it is, is because all of us work hard in theory. Uh, everybody has a grind in their daily life. And the baseball players, you know, we've talked about the fact that minor leaguers get treated like crap and don't get paid nearly enough. And for a guy like Schwindel to grind at it for six, seven, eight years and finally get a crack at it in Chicago, replacing Anthony Rizzo, an icon, and to do what he's done is really fun to watch. And the opposite end of the spectrum, to be amazed at a kid the age of Wander Franco to come up and be in the same sentence as a guy like Mickey Mantle as a 20-year-old. Is breathtaking, and I think that's what makes baseball so great. Is doesn't matter if you're 20 or 29, if you get that opportunity and you take advantage of it, people will fall in love with you. You'll see your name on the back of jerseys in the stands, and you won't you won't have to buy dinner a couple times a week if you go to the right steakhouse uh, or uh, you know cigar lounge, I guess, in Tampa for Franco. Um, you know you'll you'll be able to enjoy the fruits of your labor. Once you get there, but it's it's so much fun to watch these young guys come up and do it. And I'm hoping for continued success for Schwindel, Franco, and all these other young guys that are blowing the game up right now. Yeah, I mean, no. we forget that like Vladdy Junior is like 22, and you know we've been saying this all year. If we lived in a Shohei Otani-less society, he'd be a walkaway MVP in the American League probably. Yeah, it's crazy. So. Uh, the game's in great hands with young players, uh, many of whom are younger than Frank Schwindel, but it's just a matter of getting that opportunity and taking advantage of it, and that's why we love it. Yeah, and that's why we, you know, that's why we started LDR. We talked about this at the beginning of the season uh, about the future of MLB and, and and all these great, exciting players that are playing. And yes, it's also great for these uh, older guys to get a chance too. In fact, we, we were talking last week, uh, me and Tab. I know Tab is is going out for the Pittsburgh Pirates next year. He's going to be at the batting cage all fall and off season and get ready. Because, you know, Tab, you got an honest chance, you know. I mean, what the heck? I mean, look, I, I can hit the ball a solid 200 feet uh, if I barrel it, uh, which, you know, puts me in line to probably be their opening day starter. <laughs> and I will be there, man. I will, I'm actually going to put in to sing the national anthem at that game. So I will Absolutely. be there. Absolutely. All right. Which, um... to a, hold on, hold on real quick. Speaking of singing. For those that listen to LDR, if you don't know, my esteemed colleague, Paul Cuthbert, is a tremendous musician uh, and uh, does does the touring thing, uh, has gigs on the regular. But uh, before we really go hardcore into the Hall of Fame induction stuff and, and talk about these four incredible guys who are going to be honored this year, you have a gig coming up. Uh, that is incredibly special. Um, and I wanted to give you a second. I talked to the people about what you're doing coming up because when we talked about it off the air, um, it was one of the coolest damn things I've ever heard. So please, Paul, take a second, share this upcoming gig that you have with the folks out there in radio listener land. Well, thank you, Mr. Bamford. Um, obviously, 
this weekend, uh, not only for New York City and uh, but the whole entire country. Obviously, the uh, 20th anniversary of 9/11 coming up here, and um, I was obviously being a a New Yorker here and living through the whole thing. Um, it's it's always close to home here. But uh, you know, uh, everybody knows me and Tab talking here. We're also big hockey guys. We have a couple of hockey podcasts we do as well too, in addition to the baseball and. Like Tab said, I do perform. I don't. I don't know if I'm as good as Tab was saying, but anyway, um, the FDNY hockey team and the NYPD hockey team are playing each other. They've been doing this uh, for quite a few years. Um, it's always an annual thing here in New York. Last year, the game got canceled, obviously because of COVID. So it lines up this year. It's this Thursday, uh, which is tomorrow. Hard to believe. And they're playing at Madison Square Garden. And the game is going to be on uh, ESPN two at eight o'clock. So for all you guys can tune in, uh, that'd be great. Um, game is going to be sold out. Exciting. Anyway, uh, a couple weeks ago, um, I was reached. Uh, the guys from the FDNY uh, hockey team reached out to me, uh, my music company, and they reached out to me personally and asked for one of our very popular tribute bands to play. The FDNY post-game, you know, gathering, celebration after the game, win or lose uh, in New York City. It's going to be at a great place, a great sports bar, too, which is uh, Hudson Station for uh, definitely for Rangers fans. It's a a huge home base for Ranger fans and stuff. So we're um, we're honored to be a part of it. Uh, I'm a, a, you know, retired uh, volunteer fireman out here on Long Island. Long Island has a huge volunteer um, firemen community in every town here. All the uh, all the fire departments out here, one or two, except for a couple of the big cities here, uh, big townships, I should say, or villages here on the island, are all pretty much uh, volunteers and very much connected. A lot of volunteer departments on 9-11 went in, in addition to Nassau County and Suffolk County police officers and, uh, um, you know, the teams that went in. You know, I, I unfortunately lost a close buddy of mine a couple of weeks ago uh, he was in on the pile, and he died of 9-11 disease and everything else. So it's close to home. I was um, absolutely floored uh, to be invited by these guys. Turns out the uh, a lot of the guys on the hockey team are huge fans of our band, which is great. We play a lot here in Long Island, New York, in the city, and up and down the East Coast, and uh, absolutely honored. So um, that's that's what's going on on Thursday, and we can't wait uh, to be a part of it. Really excited. I have my... Uh, uh, I, I have my... Um, New York uh, FDNY hockey t-shirt here that I'm excited to wear. And I've also, uh, you can go to the FDNY hockey team website. There's all kinds of stuff there uh, that you can buy and donate. And it goes to um, a couple of great, um, you know, fundraisers uh, for families and stuff that involve with FDNY, obviously. And and NYPD, uh, great stuff. And I I ordered my jersey too, man. It's it's gorgeous. It's got uh, number 20 on the back. Has all the names of the firefighters, 343 that were... Uh, they lost that day inside. It's just an absolutely beautiful thing, and I can't wait to have it. So I'm I'm honored as a New Yorker, as a musician, obviously, but primarily as a New Yorker. And, you know, you talk about Derek Jeter today and the Mets and the Yankees playing each other this weekend. You go back yes. to um, those uh, famous games right after 9-11 between the Mets and the Yankees, uh, all of them wearing the caps. So there's a lot of emotions going on this week. And sometimes, you know, you get 20 years into this thing here, Tab, and um, we never forget. Um, and it's surreal that it's 20 years and, um, but yeah, it's, um, when you, when you get an opportunity to be a part of, cause it, it's, it's tough here to sell It's not celebrating. It's, it's, it's remembering obviously. And for all these families and these colleagues, these guys that lost so many guys there 20 years ago and, and yesterday, I want to, well, since you brought this up, Tim, I got to bring it up. 
If you can find it online, the New York Post, uh, there's something like, I believe, 53 or 63. I started reading yesterday. Children of FDNY guys who lost their lives who went and became firemen. When they were kids, they lost their dads, and they all became fun. It's just, I'm like getting chills here listening to it. So, um, you know, with such great tragedy, you you always try and find some kind of good vibes, and that's what the human story is, Tab, too, when you, when you, mm-hmm. when you wrap yourselves around unimaginable tragedy here. So we're going to play a small part in these guys. This is going to be an emotional night for all of these guys playing on Thursday night. All of them just involved in the everyday work lives and the remembered every day with that Freedom Tower that's up there and, and what happened here in New York and obviously down in D.C. and Pennsylvania and everything else. Um, but where I get the chills are is that these guys reached out to us to bring a little joy into their lives in addition to this incredible game and um, that's going on on Thursday. So there you go. That's what's happening there. Can't wait. It's beautiful. And, you know, I think, you know, from afar, you know, I, one of the pastors at church that I grew up in was on one of the planes. And so, um, you know, I think when you think about how sports helped kind of comfort the soul and rebound, and I think for all the incredible things that he did in his career, the defining moment of Mike Piazza's career was the home run that he hit after 9-11. Yep. And he's, he's, he's spoken about that. And I've seen some really incredible interviews that have been done with former Mets. You know, obviously John Franco was really involved. Um, former Yankees. Um, you know, it's, it, it's amazing to think that Jeter played with the Yankees for 20 years and, you know, that World Series that they ultimately lost to the Diamondbacks in 2001, you know, with then-President Bush throwing out that incredible pitch and the emotions. And really, I think even Diamondbacks fans at that point were cheering for New York. Just the way that sports has helped the soul of many people, but especially New Yorkers, Heal a little bit. Um, and, you know, I just, I'm so glad that Major League Baseball was smart enough, had the foresight to put the Mets and the Yankees together this weekend. Because mm-hmm. it feels like that's how it should be. Yeah. And uh, I know that those games are going to be incredibly emotional to watch, and the tributes that they have lined up are going to be so special. Um, but, you know, it, it's going to be a very, you know, starting today uh, with with Derek Jeter's induction, but then obviously moving into the game tomorrow that you'll get to be a pretty unique part of that moment. And then rolling into the weekend, uh, there's going to be a lot of emotion in New York uh, this week and in the coming days. And so um, it would have been a complete failure on our part to not spend some time chatting about 9-11 um, with it coming up and with you and you sell yourself short, you're a tremendous performer, um, which is why you got that invite. But, you know, as a retired volunteer fireman, um, you know, the impact obviously that it, it's had on your life and those that you're close with. And um, sadly, um, your friend paying the ultimate price, um, 
is something that I think we we can't stray too far away from remembering um, and honoring. Uh, and so wanted to take a moment to to chat about that with you. And obviously those really unique circumstances that you've got coming up with the gig tomorrow and being part of something that's going to be emotional and incredibly special uh, in New York. And I, I can't wait to watch uh, what the scene looks like at Madison Square Garden with those guys on the ice this week. Yeah, wait for that. Uh, that anthem is going to be pretty uh, chilling there on uh, on Thursday night, no doubt about it. And yeah. bravo to these guys. Uh, I know a bunch of guys who have played for the FDNY team. Uh, i got a buddy of mine, too, who's been involved with it over the years. Uh, great connection. i got to tell you, you know, they're just, they're just super, super guys uh, on both sides and stuff. We all know what they do out there. Um, so, yeah, emotional weekend coming up here. Thanks for bringing that up, Tab. Appreciate it. I am looking forward. I'm honored to be a part of it. And uh, I got to tip my cap to the guys in the band, too, because uh, it's a late one. We're going in. We're playing the post game. So it's 11 o'clock to 1 o'clock in the morning. And then the, me and the boys are off to uh, Maryland in the morning to play a show the next day. And, and that's how much this means to us. We didn't care. We said we're going to be there. And um, so we're uh, really excited to uh, honor to be, not you know, honored to be a part of it. So uh, good stuff. Thanks for bringing that up, Tab. So look, man, just before we get into DJ and Larry here and Ted and Marvin at the Hall of Fame here. Um, we would be, um, we, we have to at least talk a little bit about what's going on here in the last week with the wild card races. And we have to at least acknowledge the Dodgers and the Giants playing each other here last, last week, just some, some really good stuff going on. And if, if, you know, if anything, like I said, what we and you have been talking about all season long here and getting excited for the playoffs and how the wild card's running out. And we've talked about how much, how important the wild card is to making it so much interesting now in MLB. So if you're out there and you're maybe you've been bored with baseball over the last few years and everything else, or you don't get this, you don't get that. And especially with the wild card, we brought it up here how, how much of an impact it is now on the season for just interest and just storylines and just excitement. So no matter who's in the division lead right now, and even if you're a division leader, you're looking at what's going on in the wild card race because you might be playing one of these badass teams that are grinding it out. And if they get in, they're just going to be, they want more. Because if you get in in the wild card race and you get in and then you get a chance to play for the pennant, man, and it's happened in the past. We know this as far as, you know, historic series uh, in years gone by. But, man, uh, we're getting – it's all here. It's all theater, and it's great stuff. So before we get into the Hall of Fame tab, I just wanted to at least bring this up a little bit. I think we need to talk about it just a little bit before we get into the, to the great guys going into the, the big house this week. Yeah, I mean, look, you've got the Yankees now sliding back to only having a half-game lead on the Red Sox in the American League. You didn't have to start there, Tab. You could have started out west. I, theoretically, <laughs> but let, 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 let's stick with, with your pinstripes here. The Red Sox are clinging to that second spot, but the Blue Jays have won nine of their last ten, six straight, and they're sitting two behind Boston right now. And Seattle has actually leapfrogged Oakland. I've been telling you for weeks, beware the Seattle Mariners because they're young and don't know that they're not supposed to be here yet, kind of like the Blue Jays, but they're even younger uh, than Toronto. Uh, you know, they're three back. And now Oakland's got to jump three teams to get in to the postseason dance. Um, so Toronto is right now, I think, the team that everybody's looking in the rearview mirror afraid of. And the National League side of things, 
I think the team that a lot of people are, I mean, look, the, the, there are two teams in the National League wild card race that have won eight of their last ten. One of them is the Chicago Cubs. So out of respect to my guys, we're not going there because they're ten games back. But the other team in the National League wild card race that has won eight of their last ten, who I don't know how many people really want to play right now, is the New York Mets. The Amazons are, are playing amazing. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, Steve Cohen earlier this week tweeting, you know, where are all the Javi Baez haters now? I guess they took the weekend off. Um, you know, God bless the man. I mean, he has no filter classic. whatsoever. It's a beautiful it's thing. Classic. But look, I mean, the Mets are rolling. Um, they're now a game and a half behind the Phillies for second in the National League East. They're three and a half back of the Reds and Padres who are tied for the second wild. I and mean, the Dodgers are... Whoever doesn't win the West is going to be the home team in the wild card because the Dodgers right now are a game back at San Francisco and they've got a 14 and a half game lead on the wild card. So they're in. I mean, their magic number is effectively zero. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Reds and Padres are sliding in the wrong direction. I already mentioned the Reds had lost seven and nine before ending the Cubs seven game win streak yesterday. Um the Padres are five and five in their last ten. They can't get out of their own way. They can't stay healthy. The Phillies. I mean, if I if I was a Phillies fan, I would just it, it, classic Phillies. I would just be so rattled, not knowing what the heck to make of Aaron Nola, who's supposed to be your ace and he might be your third best star. They have won seven of their last ten, but you know they have not been able to jump the Braves, and now they've got the Mets climbing. And the Cardinals were making things interesting for the Reds there for a while, but they've dropped their last four. Um, and so, you know, I think right now the two teams that you got to keep, uh, you know, have that, you know, upward arrow with a, a set of eyeballs next to them if we're going to go emojis, uh, is you got to keep an eye on the Blue Jays and the Mets. And um, so you're right. Like the wild card, a lot of people are like, what the hell? It's a gimmick. Uh, when Bud Selig, Hall of Famer, uh, instituted the wild card, people thought that it was cheapening the product. I think the opposite has happened, and you're right. It's opened the door for more people to care about what their teams are doing. I mean, look, in the National League, if we eliminate the Padres conversation, you got Padres, Reds, Phillies, Cardinals, Mets. you got five teams that have a fighter's chance here with three weeks left. In the American League, the Yankees are not out of the woods. So you got the Yankees, Red Sox, Jays in the same division who play each other a lot down the stretch. And then you got Seattle and Oakland sitting kind of on the fringes there. So you've got five teams in the American league. So a third of baseball, 10 of the teams have a fighter's chance of a playoff spot right now. And that's what it should be. You, you should have games that you care about. And you've got a third of the markets in major league baseball. Uh, you know, if you want to double down on New York still, uh, you got a third of the teams that have a fighter's chance, and that's pretty cool. Um, one last nugget here uh, before we take a quick break and then dive into some Hall of Fame conversation. But with relative impact on the uh, both the Hall of Fame ballot in the future and the playoff race in the National League, uh, there's going to be uh, what's expected to be a pretty cool moment today. Uh, it's a, I believe a 7:45 p.m. start um, in St. Louis. Cardinals host the Los Angeles Dodgers. Um, final time that those two game, teams will play each other, 
and uh, it w- would appear if this is it uh, for the great Albert Pujols, who, if he calls it a career at the end of this season, uh, will find himself in Cooperstown in five short years without a question. Um, be the last time the Pujols plays in St. Louis where it all started. Crazy. And if you haven't seen it yet, uh, he got the start bat in third at first base last night. Uh, you know, his relationship with Yadier Molina has transcended the uniform. Uh, those two guys both, I mean, I, we'll talk about Yadi down the road. Uh, I think most people consider him to be a lock for the Hall as well. Um, every time that Pujols has come back to St. Louis, Yadi has done a, a very professional um, job of going out and talking to his pitcher for a little bit so that Albert can get the well-deserved ovation that he deserves. Um, but last night, uh, Albert Pujols uh, drilled a home run and got a 40-second standing out. Awesome. Uh, just great stuff to watch. And, you know, on, on it, it, again, we, we talk about these things that just kind of feel like they're appropriate. And the stars kind of line up a little bit. And we talked about how appropriate it is that uh, the Mets and Yankees are playing each other this weekend. Um, it feels appropriate when you look at the macro and the history of the game, which history is such an important part of baseball, on Hall of Fame induction day. That maybe the last time that Pujols and Molina share the diamond together in St. Louis is on the day that Hall of Fame inductions take place. And Ted Simmons, who was a great catcher for the Cardinals for years, finally gets his due, and we'll talk about that here in a minute, but um, it, it feels poetic that the last time Albert Pujols plays in St. Louis uh, is on Hall of Fame induction day because he is, whenever he calls it a career, he is five short years away from joining Derek Cheater uh, and all of the others in history uh, in Cooperstown, New York. So I wanted to make sure that, you know, we we spent a second talking about that because Watching that ovation last night, again, kind of we talked about the Billy Crystal narrated uh, video that the Yankees put out this morning for Jeter's induction. There are moments that you realize are bigger than an individual at bat or an individual play, and that 40-second ovation that Pujols got in St. Louis last night was really special. Um, So if you haven't seen it yet, go find it on social media. Totally worth watching for a minute of your time, Um, but... Uh, for the for the Hall of Fame induction day to be the last time Pujols is in St. Louis just feels right. Good stuff, man. Yeah, great point last night. Definitely check that out. Um, hey, look, you know this uh, this season, this 2021 season has been uh, great, and the big thing too with obviously all the fans back in the stands too. So uh, a lot of special moments, a lot of special players. Uh, just under 25 games here, pretty much for most of the teams here for for this regular season. And uh, you know, with that said, Tab, I think. Um, you know, we have to congratulate the Texas Rangers and the Pittsburgh Pirates for reaching 50 wins this season. I mean, you know, there were naysayers. There were people that just didn't believe, but they got there. Now we only have to well, do is pull for the Orioles and the Diamondbacks to see if they can get 50. The, the old cliche is you win 60, you lose 60. It's what you do with the other 40 that makes you a winner. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. Oh, man. 
Good stuff here. All right, look, here's the deal. We're going to take a quick break, and then on the other side, we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about um, Derek Jeter, Larry Walker, Ted Simmons, and Marvin Miller on this special Hall of Fame induction edition here on Line Drive Radio. We'll be right back. Drive Radio. Thanks as always to your for your support and following us everywhere at Line Drive Radio, right here on the Revolver Podcast Network. I tell you, man, I, I'm I'm not gonna lie to you, Tab. I know me and you, we, you know, the sounds of Line Drive Radio, this old jazz swing time feel, you know, takes us back to the old days, you know, baseball and dirt and all that stuff and the old unis and. The old names, and when you when we talk about Juan DeFranco and Beaton Mantle and those guys in the old days, and and the Hall of Fame, man, that's what it's all about because it, it goes it goes back into the history of baseball. You know, we had the Field of Dreams game this year. I mean, this is what it's all about. So that's that's the vibes we're pushing here on Line Drive Radio. Is that it's the classic great American pastime that is baseball. And here we are, Tab, on the baseball. Hall of Fame induction day, Wednesday, September 8th. Wednesday, a matinee. A matinee. Which kind of historically feels about right. Baseball should be played with the sun out in the afternoon. And, uh, you know, with the pandemic obviously changing circumstances, the guys who are being inducted this year, this is the class of 2020 because no one was voted into the Hall of Fame this year. Um, at least from a former player perspective. Um, so, uh, so it's a year overdue. Feels like it's much longer overdue for a couple of the guys who are on their way in here. Um, but it's a, it's a special time. And, you know, I tweeted earlier this morning that I've been to Cooperstown a bunch and have had the distinct honor and privilege of working with the folks at the National Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum uh, a, a good amount uh, business partners with them uh, for a number of years and have gotten to know a lot of the folks that work in the that incredible institution personally. And it is, it is impossible to not fall head over heels in love with baseball when you go to Cooperstown. And next summer, my kid will, his travel team will be headed out there for one of the amazing tournaments that they hold in, in Cooperstown. Um, but it's always a special day, and to see all of the, as many of the living Hall of Famers as are able to make the trip up uh, is always special. And I think one of the things that a lot of people may have forgotten uh, but won't when the ceremony kicks off today is how many incredible players we lost last year during the pandemic. Um, you know, Whitey Ford passed away, Bob Gibson, Lou Brock. Um, you know, there were, I think it was a dozen Hall of Famers who passed away last year who have not been, we haven't been able to have what feels like an appropriate collective remembrance. And this is the day that that'll happen, mm-hmm. uh, where their, you know, their legacies live forever. And so, um, I think that'll be a really special moment during the ceremony today when they remember those who have passed um, with those who are able to make the trip up there today, 
it's always cool, no matter which Hall of Fame it is, to see the Hall of Famers who come out and celebrate with the newly inducted. Um, but, you know, this is this is going to be a unique one, not only because we had to wait an extra year for these guys to go in, and uh, because nobody was voted in for this specific year, but I think also because um, you've got two guys who are long, long overdue to have their place in Cooperstown uh, in Ted Simmons and Marvin Miller. You have Larry Walker, who, like Edgar Martinez recently and a few others, had to wait until his 10th and final year on the ballot to finally get enough votes to get his well-deserved place in history. And then you've got the captain, no-brainer, who I think some people thought would be the second unanimous Hall of Famer. Somehow he was not. Uh, we'll pull those receipts later. Um, joining his teammate, longtime teammate, uh, uh, Mariana Rivera, uh, from the dynasty of the last uh, couple decades plus uh, in New York. So um, it's going to be a special day in Cooperstown. Uh, it always, it's something that, you know, some people say it's a dry ceremony. I, I think anytime you can listen to one of the legends of any sport, we saw it. You know, a couple of weeks back with the uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame's induction ceremony, and they had, you know, maybe, uh, you know, one of their icons, uh, maybe of the stature of a Derek Jeter and Peyton Manning going in. Um, but to hear these guys talk back, and we talked about at the beginning of the show here when we were, you know, waxing poetic about the journeys of Wander Franco and Frank Schwindel. Uh, but to hear these guys that are five years, in some cases, much longer, in the case of Ted Simmons, removed from their playing career, go back and thank, by name, the individuals who made an impact on them as a baseball player and as a person to get to this place. You know, you've heard guys thank Little League coaches, high school coaches, college recruiters, uh, training staff individuals. Um, it's always amazing to hear how these guys go back and, and reminisce about who helped them get to where they are. And it's never, I was better than you, and that's why I'm here and drop the mic and walk off. It's always I'm here because of all of these other individuals. Uh, so it's going to be a, it's going to be a special day, an emotional day in Cooperstown. Uh, and I'll be fascinated to see what the, what the crowd looks like for your boy, uh, for Jeets to get himself uh, bust finally. Finally, uh, we'll have a plaque for the captain. You know, we, this is all expected for us. You know, most of the guys. I mean, Garrett Cole will be back there one day, too. I mean, come on. I mean, it's, you know, this is all expected down the road. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they might even, they might even have one for Gardner. You know, who knows? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, but, that, but, but you know what? That, that's what makes it so dang special is you watch guys like Garrett Cole perform at such a high level now. And you look at some of the folks who aren't in the hall. And we'll do a whole other show on how the hell are these guys not in the Hall of Fame yet down the road here. But yeah. when you look at a guy like Ted Simmons, um, and, you know, maybe we'll, we'll start talking a little bit about Ted Simmons because he was a guy who, you know, he, he played – his career really in the in the peak of his career was really the seventies. Um, you know, broke in with a cup of tea in sixty eight and sixty nine, and then 
you know, got half of the games in 70. And then really he was the full-time dude in St. Louis until 1980. And then moved on to Milwaukee for a few great years, a couple all-star appearances with the Brewers in the American League at that point. Let's remember that Milwaukee was an American League team for a while, much like the Astros were a national team, and then finished up with three years in Atlanta. Um, but I think you have to place the, the careers of these guys in context. And when I think Ted Simmons, uh, the historical comparison that I have for him is Ron Santo. Uh, a guy who, if he had played at another time, would probably have been held in a much higher regard. Uh, you know, he had three 100 home run seasons. Uh, you know, as a as a catcher back then, not something that you see every day. Not everybody's doing what Salvador Perez is doing this year. Uh, ended up just a hair short of 1400 runs batted in, and a couple homers short of 250 for his career. Um, but he was a marvelous player, and I say Sano because Ron Sano was one of the better third basemen in baseball during his playing career. But if you talked about the best third baseman who ever played at that time or even now, though Michael Jack Schmidt is in that conversation, Brooks Robinson is the name that you, you look at. And if you were a third baseman that overlapped with Brooks Robinson, you weren't going to get as much attention because he was the gold standard and still is. And Ted Simmons' career just happened to overlap significantly with Johnny Bench, who is still the gold standard. Um, and so I don't feel like Ted Simmons gets enough love because of when he played, but I'm thankful that he is now getting his place uh, where he should have a long time ago. He should have been able to enjoy being able to sign autographs with an HOF after his name for a much longer part of his life. But now, uh, you know, just a month, a day short of a month past his 72nd birthday, uh, the 10th overall pick in the 67 draft will find himself on a plaque in Cooperstown. So uh, well overdue for Ted Simmons. Glad that he's going in. Uh, certainly one of the greatest to ever do it in St. Louis. I think as people look and, and start putting the Hall of Fame case together for Yadier Molina and they look at what an impact he's had as a catcher in St. Louis, the gold standard that he's been chasing as a backstop for the Cardinals was established by Ted Simmons. Yeah, it's great stuff. I mean, I, I always, I love the 13 years uh, with, with, I mean, Cardinals, I mean, it's such a great baseball town. I mean, St. Louis has had its trouble with football teams <laughs> and, uh, you know, recently winning the finally after all these years, getting a championship there in uh, hockey there with the blues winning and, you know, but the Cardinals have been the gem, man. You know, and I mean, look, the OPS plus is a metric that weighs your on base plus slugging relative to other players. And 100 is considered to be average. Between 1971, the first time he played more than 83 games in a season, and 1985, he had a sub 100. OPS plus twice. And that was when he was limited in 1981 to 100 games uh, and at 34 years old in 84. Uh, so he, this is a guy who offensively was terrific. Like I said, some people will look at gold gloves, uh, but I say poo-poo to that because it didn't matter if you were flawless behind the plate, you weren't winning one as long as Johnny Bench was, was doing the thing. So, um, 
Ted Simmons well worthy of it. And I think him going in today again, poetic. You know, I would say on the, you know, he's 1A, 1B with Yadier Molina for the greatest catchers in the history of the Cardinal franchise. And, you know, with what's going on with Yadi and Pools today, there will be Hall of Fame feels in St. Louis today uh, for those two, but also because uh, an icon of the Cardinals franchise, Ted Simmons, is finally going in. Yeah, like I said, big, huge baseball town in St. Louis. So it's uh, you know, a lot of karma going on there, like you said, with uh, Pool House and the, Pool Holes in the game tonight. And obviously, like I said, a guy like Simmons here, uh, a long time with uh, the Cardinals and, and how the fans just, um, they love their players um, on that franchise. Good stuff. Um, you know, we can maybe get into Marvin Miller here a little bit before we get into Walker and Jeter, obviously, respectively. But as far as, um, you know, it's taken so long for some of these guys to get nominated and get inducted. Yeah, I mean, look, here's here's a very important reality that we all need to, to keep in mind. Um, and a lot of people say that the Hall of Fame has issues because the Hall of Fame doesn't put these people in. There, and there are individuals that people want to see in the Hall of Fame who aren't, whether it's Pete Rose or Barry Bonds or Roger Clemens or Sammy Sosa or Rafi Palmero because of their numbers. So let, let's take a second to recognize here that the National Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum and the employees of that hallowed institution are the curators of the history of the game. And if you go to Cooperstown and spend time in the Hall of Fame, look, if you, you could run through that thing in an hour and a half and be blown away. You could spend a month and not see the same artifact twice and learn something new every 30 seconds. It's incredible. And I've really, you know, I've been blessed to be able to do some really incredible things and see some amazing artifacts that they have in their collection. Um, But the Hall of Fame itself does not vote these people in. It is the Baseball Writers Association who votes players in off of the active ballot, which you're on for 10 years and you can be on for the first time five years after you retire. So you get a little breather to figure out if these people are worthy or not. And the emotion of however your career ended can subside a little bit, but uh, the hall of fame doesn't vote the people in uh, the writers do. And there are players who rub writers the wrong way. Um, there are individuals who have obviously some question marks around the legitimacy of some of their statistics, which is why the individuals that I named with the exception of Pete Rose aren't in, um, you know, I, th- I think you're going to have a conversation down the road here as sports gambling becomes uh, more widespread and major league baseball becomes more accepting of it being uh, affiliated with the game. Obviously major league baseball already has a, a stake in a couple of, you know, daily fantasy and online sports books. And you're going to start seeing sports books pop up adjacent to fields like Wrigley Field in Chicago. You know, at what point do we have a conversation about if Major League Baseball is making money off of gambling, do we turn a, you know, have a different conversation about what Pete Rose did? Uh, or, uh, you know, for me, more importantly, go back and revisit the Shoeless Joe Jackson conversation. Um, because if you've seen the great movie Eight Men Out, a case has been made that uh, he did not participate fully in the Black Sox scandal. But 
Um, but the reason you got 10 years on the ballot and you have to be over like, 2% of the vote to stay on is you can only vote for 10 players. And there are some writers and some fans who believe that the Hall of Fame should be the elite of the elite, not the Hall of Very Good. And so they believe in a small hall. And there are others that believe if you're good enough, Ted Simmons, you should be in the Hall of Fame. Why the hell isn't he? Mm -hmm. And so you've got some friction on how people vote, what they believe the hall should reflect. You've got the personality things that come into play. Um, and then after the fact, you have veterans committees that come in and they vote every few years on a specific generation. And the generation that they voted on in 2020 was kind of that 70s, 80s era where Ted Simmons fell and they did the right thing and got him in. So when you consider the fact that you've got a veterans committee that in some ways can right or wrong um, in the case of a Ted Simmons, but then the writers are, are voting. There are individuals who take way too long to get in. Edgar Martinez is a great example of that. Uh, I mean, he took until his 10th ballot to get in and the award given to the best designated hitter in the American league. And I would assume the national league uh, next year when the new collective bargaining agreement is in place. Um, the award for the best designated hitter in baseball is named after Edgar Martinez. And so it's kind of like, like the, the closer of the year awards are named for Mariano and Trevor Hoffman. And Trevor Hoffman took way too long to get in. And frankly, I think it's because now with the way that voting is tracked on social media and the way that people, you know, I jokingly said, we'll call the receipts on who didn't vote for Jeter. But the way that people are calling the receipts on folks who didn't vote for people it's kind of hard to vote Mariano Rivera in unanimously if you haven't voted for Trevor Hoffman, who had the save record until Mariano broke it. Mm -hmm. And so now I think that there's that transparency has been good because you've started to clean up some of the logjam on guys who should have been in a while ago, but there's still guys who should be in. And I think that, you know, there are players and eras that have been not given their full due. I think that they, the hall of fame uh, electorate, could do a much better job of recognizing individuals who made an impact in the Negro Leagues. Um, you know, we've talked about Bob Kendrick's incredible podcast here. Um, you know, they had one committee that voted a number of folks in. My good friend Adrian Burgos was part of that conversation. Um, and they voted a bunch of people in, but the fact that a guy like Minnie Minoso is not in the Hall of Fame again, like, what the hell are we doing here? So, um, I think that there are still some holes that need to be filled in, but uh, but when you see a guy like Ted Simmons finally get his due, well overdue, and someone who um, who's who is so overdue uh, that I, I believe his family is still not going to appear in Cooperstown hmm. because they feel like he should have been in a long time ago uh, is Marvin Miller. Yeah. who is the founding executive director of the Major League Baseball Players Association, uh, started that back in 1966, held the position until 82. Um, this is a guy who really changed the way that professional sports function. And it took the NFL way longer to recognize that free agency was a good thing for all involved. Uh, I think now we see it running rampant in the NBA. 
uh, with guys flipping teams midseason and and getting their super teams together. Um, but at the end of the day, there are billions of dollars going through professional sports. And in 1966, that was not the case. In 1966, and even in 1982, the case was that the owners held all the cards and the players had to deal with the hands that they were dealt. And, uh, with you know, in the week of, it's appropriate also, when we talk about the poetic nature of baseball and the timing of things, it is really damn appropriate that Marvin Miller is going into the Hall of Fame two days after Labor Day. <laughs> and in because a season, it, and a season, in a season before one of the biggest CBA negotiations coming up between MLB and the Players Union. Exactly. I mean, it, it, but this is a guy who changed the financial landscape of professional sports, not just baseball. Um, club owners had an iron fist over. Uh, the way that players moved. You had a reserve clause and you could only play for the team that was paying you. And if they didn't want to play you, you were stuck. And they could control the salaries and they could control the benefits and they could control the working conditions and the players had absolutely no say in any of it. Until Marvin Miller arrived. And he changed everything and created a bona fide labor union for Major League Baseball players um, and it's one of the strongest negotiating bodies in the entire United States, whether it's professional sports or otherwise. And so, uh, again, you know, two days after Labor Day, um, and to your point, contextually, with one of the defining CBA negotiations coming in the history of baseball, knock on wood, fingers crossed, thoughts and prayers that we don't have a work stoppage next year because I don't think the game can sustain financially coming off of a pandemic and other work stoppage. Um, but it's appropriate that the week of Labor Day that Marvin Miller would finally get his place in the hall. Well, congrats finally to the Miller family and um, Ted Simmons family as well, too, on their inductions. Uh, super stuff. Overdue or not, uh, great that they're finally in. All right, let's talk about the, the two big guys here, and that's um, Larry Walker and Derek Jeter. Um. I'm going to let you read off. You put this together here, Tab. So I'm going to let you read off the bullet points you put together on on, on Walker and Jeter here. Let's start with uh, Walker here first, if you don't mind. Um, for me, you know, Larry Walker always brings a big smile to my face. Because back in 95, 96, I moved out to Colorado. And that was the year um, Larry signed with the uh, with the Rockies. Along with, uh, you know, you know, the Rockies came in in 93. And then in 95-96 there, um, he he joined Galarraga, Bichette, and Castilla, and they became known as the Blake Street Bombers. Uh, they had an amazing season. I was very lucky that year. I was there the year that the Rockies went and won the, the National League wildcard t- title that year. And I was there when the uh, Quebec Nordiques became the Colorado Avalanche and went on to win the Stanley Cup. So it was a lot Big of fun. Big Canada vibes in Denver when you got there. Yeah, it was it was phenomenal. I couldn't I couldn't have moved out there at any better time in 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 the nineties. It was just absolutely fantastic, and I actually got a bartending job at the Sports Column, which is still there in Colorado. It's right across the street from Coors Field Stadium, and it was a great gig because there'd be thirty thousand people going into the game on the way in, and then there'd be thirty thousand people coming out. 
and um, had a lot of great times there. Uh, it's a great day. If you haven't been to Colorado, I'm sure we, we – I know we brought this up a little bit when uh, uh, about the All-Star game and everything else, but uh, downtown Colorado, Coors Field, the whole vibes, everything down there with the mountains and stuff, it's absolutely beautiful. So, anyway, uh, it was a great time. Larry Walker, these guys was just – you know, it's funny when you think back of, uh, of that team that was put together and the run they had, and obviously the rest is history. And I know, you know, talking about Larry Walker from being from Canada, starting out with the Expos, and, man, I miss the Expos. I wish they would come back uh, just the same way a lot of Quebec Nordiques fans wish the uh, Nords would come back here, too. But uh, great memories for me with Larry Walker. So I'm going to throw it back to you. Why don't you read off some of these great stats from uh, this just not, not only a, a phenomenal baseball player here, but a, a really good guy, too. And, and like I said, great memories for me. Yeah. And I, again, like we talk about the juxtapositions that take place, you know, between Schwindel and, and Franco earlier in the show and. Larry Walker took until his 10th ballot to go in. And when they announce his name, he appears on MLB Network, you know, sitting at, uh, you know, patio table on his porch in a what appeared to be a SpongeBob SquarePants bowling (laughs) shirt, Uh, which perfectly sums up Larry Walker. This is a guy that always had a huge smile on his face, I think. For a lot of people who did not specifically watch him on a daily basis or cheer for the teams that he played for, the moment from Larry Walker's career that everyone remembers was the 1997 All-Star Game when Randy Johnson, the big unit, hummed a 100-mile-an-hour fastball behind his head, and he said, oh, crap, I'm not playing it, and turned his helmet backwards and turned around and batted right-handed. And even (laughs) Randy Johnson laughed hysterically on the mound. One of the all-time hilarious moments in all-star game in baseball history at large. If you get a chance, hop on the YouTube, um, 97 all-star game. Um, but again, you, you juxtapose him in a SpongeBob SquarePants bowling shirt on the patio, uh, on his 10th ballot and then style icon, Derek Jeter going in on the first, um, you know, really complete opposites. And Derek Jeter, we knew, basically by 1998 that this is a guy that probably had Cooperstown in his future. And Larry Walker just, he didn't play for the Yankees. And so he had to grind it out and put up great numbers. Um, Spent uh, six great years in Montreal and then went to Denver, spent 10 quality years with the Rockies uh, and then finished up with two years with the Cardinals, a second Cardinal uh, going in uh, today. He was the 1997 National League MVP. Uh, He is still to this day uh, ranked second all-time in Rockies history with 48.3 for a career war, according to baseball reference. Uh, Somewhat astounding, he had a 334 career average as a member of the Rockies. That's that's stupid. Mm -hmm. We're talking about, you're talking about MVP candidates that are trying to crack 300 right now, and uh, and the impact the guys are making with a 270 batting average, and his career average over a decade in Colorado was 334. Uh, whether you believe in the humidor or not, if you hit a ball three times out of ten, uh, or th- once out of every three at bats that you get in a game, that's really freaking impressive. Um, beyond the MVP and, and and the resume here, uh, five All Star game appearances, including the aforementioned uh, hilarity in 1997. Seven-time Gold Glove winner, three Silver Sluggers, won three batting titles. Larry Walker was a five-tool guy. He had one of the best arms in the outfield, 
uh, in the 90s that there was people would run on him and they would quickly regret it. Uh, he easily could have been an all-star more than five times, but again, you'd have to contextualize who he played with and against at the time that he did. Um, and so uh, just really a phenomenal career for Larry Walker, who, you know, we we talk about being well overdue. And I think Larry Walker is a guy who a lot of people were kind of on the fence about for some time, you know, just because he had, you know, one National League MVP on his mantle at home and five All-Star games. He, he was one of the best to ever do it. And when you look at his baseball reference sheet, you talk about Blank Inc., where they bowled out the numbers where he was a, a league leader, and there's plenty of it on the sheet for him. Uh, his MVP season in Colorado in 1997, he had an OPS of 1172. Um, you know, had... 49 home runs and 130 knocked in that year. He had 400 RBI seasons, amassed over 1,300 runs batted in in his career. You know, a lot of people say, well, 383 home runs isn't that great. He also had 471 doubles and 62 triples. Uh, You know, he struck out 1,200 times. He walked 913 times. And again, we talk about OPS plus, 100 is average. 120 is really freaking good. His career OPS plus was 141, which means he was 41% better offensively than anybody else. That MVP season, it was 178, which is ridiculous. He led the league with 409 total bases, which is in a 366 batting average. You know, you look at 97 and 99, his batting averages were 366, 363, 379. Um, finished his career with a 313 batting average and even 400 on base percentage. Uh, 565 slugging for a 965 career over 17 years OPS. This guy was absolutely a stud. Uh, I'm glad that he's getting in the Hall of Fame. I'm sure his speech will be hilarious yep. because he's got that personality. Um, you know, maybe he's not wearing the SpongeBob SquarePants bowling shirt today. <laughs> Cannot guarantee that because he is Larry Walker. But I mean, even at 38 years old with St. Louis in 2005, his OPS plus was 130. Um, so this guy did it every single year. He was not your prototype outfielder who's going to hit 70 home runs every year. He was a doubles guy and an average guy. And there's a lot of value for that in the game. There was, there still should be. And I think the game's going to come back to that. We've talked about, you know, moving past the true outcomes world that we live in now and moving more into a context scenario, but he also stole 230 bases. So he could move a little bit. And that MVP season, he stole 33 bases. So really remarkable career for Larry Walker, who's a big, fun personality. And I think his speech will be uh, absolutely enter- full-blown entertainment today. Uh, we'll see We'll see if Cheater brings, uh, brings any humor to the table. His personality has never been confused for that of Peyton Manning's. Um, and now as an owner, we'll, we'll see how that reflects on uh, kind of the perspective that he brings to the table. But I think Larry Walker, after being on the belt for 10 years, has an appreciation for, you know, not only what it took to play in the game for 17 years, but how long, uh, you know, the fight to get into the Hall of Fame and what it took to finally get in. So, you know, I think it, it's, it's again, it's appropriate as we started the show talking about Wander Franco and Frank Schwindel and the differences in there career paths that we're, we're talking about the path to the hall and how long they were on the ballot between Jeter uh, and Larry Walker, because Larry Walker is absolutely deserving. 
uh, well overdue, probably could have done it eight or nine ballots ago. But finally, the day is here and Canada can rejoice because one of their their favorite son, uh, the greatest offensive player in the history of Canadian born major league players, Larry Walker, finds a home in Cooperstown, New York. Congrats to Larry Walker. Good guy. Hey, look, man, he came to the ballpark and did his job. And a great teammate to have, no doubt about it. Like I said, uh, you, you love those kind of personalities in the game who also are successful on the field, too. Unfortunately, uh, um, no championships there for Larry, but um, just a, a great career and a, and, a, and a good guy, you know, amongst the just the history of the game. And obviously years, um, you know, during when we grew up here, too, in the 90s and everything else and, and watching him kind of grow. And um, I like I said, I, I, I loved uh, I really enjoyed watching him, especially in the Rockies there, and it was great to uh, be around for, for that special team, especially that year in Colorado and obviously the rest of his career. Good stuff for Larry Walker. Excellent job there, Tab, and uh, giving him the nods on his uh, his big-time stats here, getting him into the HLF. But now, woo-hoo, let's talk about number two, baby. DJ, going in. Pinstripes, the big guy. Number two on the field, number one in your Yankee hearts. What do you start? Yeah, look, it's 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 cheats, and you know what? I think here's what we're gonna do, Paulie. I'm gonna give you the resume, uh, and then I'm I want you to to share some thoughts as a Yankee fan because I I, I will not uh, claim to have cheered for him as intimately as you did during his yeah, playing there are, career. But there are people who dislike him, especially. <clears throat> Mets fans. <laughs> this is true. Um, <laughs> the uh, and probably Ohio State fans as well. Uh, look, <laughs> before we jump into the resume for Jeter, I just wanted to point out this. Again, we talk symmetry and the way that everything seems to line up and how ridiculous life can be. Uh, Derek Jeter drove in one thousand three hundred eleven runs in his career. Pretty good. Thirteen eleven. Pretty good. Larry Walker drove in 1,311 runs in his career. Also pretty good. Same number. Derek Jeter, Larry Walker, the same number of runs batted in in their career. The difference, of course, uh, being, you know, when I think Jeter drove his in and when you look at his postseason resume, how ridiculous it is. But the resume for, uh, again, as you said, number two in your program, number one in your hearts. I feel like we need Bob Shepard to introduce this segment. <laughs> oh, um, oh, Bob. God, Bob. Amazing. You know, it's, I feel like they need Bob Shepard to say his name before he takes the, the mic in Cooperstown today. Just like I openly advocated with my friends in Cooperstown that I know it's a quiet town and it's a conservative atmosphere, but there's no way Metallica shouldn't have been in Cooperstown for Mariano. But I digress. Uh, Derek Jeter, Kalamazoo, Michigan's finest hit of the victors' valiant, would have been a Michigan Wolverine following his uh, favorite player, Barry Larkin, to the Wolverines had he not uh, decided to become one of the greatest Yankees to ever put the pinstripes on. Five-time World Series champion. He's got five rings at home. He was the American League Rookie of the Year when it all started. Uh, when it all ended, he had uh, 3,465 hits. Uh, his 3,000th hit, of course, uh, famously a home run. Uh, his final hit was a walk-off single in his final game at Yankee Stadium because no one owned drama more than Mr. November 
uh, Derek Jeter. He was an All-Star Game MVP, a World Series MVP. He had five silver sluggers. You're like, well, in 20 years, that's not great. Consider, again, context. He broke in at the same time that Alex Rodriguez and Omar Garcia-Parra were playing shortstop in the American League. Uh, he had five gold gloves, and he overlapped a pretty good amount with Omar Vizquel. Uh, 14 All-Star games in 20 years. Obviously, you know, three, uh, you know, there were there were years where injuries limited him a little bit, but uh, basically 03 and 05 were the only years between 98 and 2012 that he was not at the Midsummer Classic. Um, whatever you you talk about living up to hype and you talk about guys who define a generation, define a franchise. We talked earlier in the show about the video that Billy Crystal narrated that the Yankees put out on social media this morning. When you talk about the Yankee way and when you try to define what makes someone a New York Yankee and what that level of, I don't know if it's swagger or uh, prestige, but what the Yankee brand is about over the last 30 years, I would say post Mattingly, no one with all due respect to the legends who have come and gone, the Andy Pettis, the Jorge Posadas, the Paul O'Neill's and Tino Martinez. Um, no one has defined what it means to be a Yankee the way that Derek Jeter did. Uh, and, We'll hear plenty of it in Cooperstown today as they introduce him, uh, as the talking heads make their case for his place on the Mount Rushmore of New York Yankees historically. Uh, but when you talk about the greatest to ever do it at either Yankee stadium, certainly the one that he built, if Ruth built the first one, the new one's because of number two. Um, you know, and again, you talk about like the hilarity and the moments that you remember for Larry Walker with the big smile on his face, turning his helmet backwards. I think one of the one of the you know little clips of media that you remember of Derek Jeter, other than the big moments in October and November and the three thousandth hit and the walk off to close out his incredible Hall of Fame career, uh, but it was the tip of the respect cap from a very special young boy sitting in the front few rows uh, that I think a lot of people, I think that embodies what a lot of people are feeling today. Uh, Derek Jeter, uh, as someone who is not a Yankees fan, was special to watch. You talk about other folks that have been hyped to be champions, uh, the way that Michael Jordan took years to get there, the way that LeBron took years to get there, and the expectations, you know, I think, the expectations for LeBron were certainly higher because of the media world that he was born into than what Michael was in joining the Bulls in the early mid-80s. But you talk about the hype around guys, number one draft picks, what you expect guys to do. And we've talked at length, you know, about when the Cubs broke up, about what, how special the Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, Javier Baez, what their place is in Cubs history. They won it once, albeit for a team that hadn't won it in 108 years. But when you talk about Derek Jeter winning it five times for a team that's won nearly 25% of the World Series that have ever been played, I think that the, the place What, what did in, you just say there, Ted? What was the last uh, thing you just said there? The franchise that has won nearly 25% of all of the World Series that have ever been played. Thank you. I thought that's what you said. One in four has gone to the, <laughs> to the Bombers. Um, 
but uh, there's no way to sugarcoat it. You know, people can talk about it in being defensively overrated. People can talk about, you know, the lack of power and the power generation. Who cares? He was clutch. He was the captain. And he is absolutely what the definition of a Yankee is. And he's the definition of what a Hall of Famer looks like. Uh, with that, Yankee fan in our midst, Paul, what are your thoughts on the day that Derek Jeter finally takes his place in history in Cooperstown, New York? Well, I mean, I think you sit back here as a Yankee fan and, and all of us who have loved and adored him and, and just it's, it's um, I don't know, you just, you're very happy. It's, uh, you know, I'll take the swagger off and the joking around and all serious here. Um, we got a, uh, not only a special player, but a special human being too. I mean, Derek Jeter was, like I said, you know, was a consummate Yankee, um, you know, just, you know, coming here to this organization in a, in a big city like this, um, his personality wasn't huge. He wasn't like a Reggie Jackson or something like that, you know, but he was, um, you know, he did it on the field and, you know, becoming the leader of this team, you know, getting to watch him here too. I mean, the success to me is what stands out more than anything. You know, it starts with Joe Torre coming in there in, in 94 and 95 and then just winning right out of the gate. And then, you know, DJ was a guy who stood out amongst all the amazing lineups that he was a part of in his 20 years here. You know, yeah, he's a five-time World Series champion. They went to the dance seven times with him in the lineup. I mean, this is just unbelievable in a 20-year career. Um, to me, and I think, you know, maybe most Yankee fans, like I said, just a class act. You know, DJ was able to do this without any, you know, any off-the-field stuff except they would be, you know, he, which hot chick was he dating, you know? I mean, that was pretty much about it. And when he struggled, he was candid about it. He carried the team on his back. And his maturity to, you know, you can talk about all the the bullet points here, all the great plays, and, and I will say it. It's amazing that the Yankees put that five-minute um, montage together. It's all there, folks, the big moments and everything. And, it, you know, I could sit here and I could have brought all those, those moments up to there. The For flip, me, the walk-offs. Yeah, I mean, it's... It goes on and on and on and on. But the thing that will stand out for me uh, that I'll always remember, it was when they won in 2009 with Joe Girardi. And there was that, that those years between the last win with, with Torrey there in, in uh, 2000 there against the Mets. I mean, that even that series was just unbelievable. Um, you know, they, they, they're just a once-in-a-lifetime with the Mets and the Yankees were, were playing. You know, Clemens and Piazza and uh, Valentine. It was just it was amazing. And, and at that point, you just didn't think there was going to be that kind of a drought going forward. But things happen in baseball. And then, then all these, like I said, the lineup starts getting broken up. But um, I'll just never forget uh, Derek out in the outfield, and he, they gave him the microphone. And you could just sense there was just this pride. He was still one of the last standing guys to, to be with the team. And it's almost like, you know, when – I hate to use the hockey reference here, but when Mark Messier went and won the Stanley Cup without Wayne Gretzky. And all yeah. those those superstars that were on those teams in the 80s with Mark, right? And mm -hmm. then Gretz leaves and all those other great stars. And then Mess takes this lunch pail group of, you know, guys and his leadership. And they go and they win the Stanley Cup. And Derek Jeter did that with him and Joe Durardi. And, and I'll always remember him um, 
you know, that speech and, and how he just kind of looked out to the stands and the fans. And I think that was a huge thing. I think if, I don't know, maybe maybe Derek will mention something about that, that, that today. For me, I look at that, and it consummates everything uh, of, of his run here in New York. Uh, great stuff. Just like I said, a good, solid guy here. You know, I think of, uh, you know, New York winners here in, in New York. I think of Brian Leach, kind of a quiet guy, you know, uh, led on the ice. You know, he goes wins in championship with the Rangers there, and he wins the Consmite and everything. You look at what um, Manning did here with the Giants. Same thing, kind of quiet guy, but he goes out and he wins just huge Super Bowls against the Patriots, all that stuff. And a guy like Johnny Stocks there. I know they would never won, but Stocks was just great there with the, with the Knicks. And, you know, guys that just went and, and did their jobs and played great. Uh, and Derek obviously having the most success here. Um, but, man, he was, he was just cut for it. And he and he and he took full advantage of his opportunity, and you, you know you talk about guys like Larry Walker and all the, all the other guys that get inducted. And depending on you know that that whole thing, yeah. But he didn't play for the Yankees. Yes, it was magnified. But I'm telling you right now, and anybody who plays for the New York Yankees, you know, and, and even the the Mets for a lot of part too. If you stink here, if you're not good, yes, you, you're gonna hit it. You're gonna hear it. You're probably gonna get run out of town. But man, when you win here in New York. Um, it's unbelievable. And Derek Jeter won a lot. And uh, for me, a kid do, you know, seeing him, I was 24, 25 when he came into the league. And now I'm going to be 52 in November and going to watch this later on, seeing him, uh, get into the baseball hall of fame as a Yankee fan, as a baseball fan. Uh, it's just like all is right in the world and fair play to him. He did all the work tab. He did it all, man. You know? And he, like I said, I, I always think that's a huge thing. I talk about that with, um, you know, Simmons, too. Just 13 years with the Cardinals. 20 years with the Yankees. It's 20 years with any one single team is just amazing in modern-day sports. And we don't know. We don't know. I mean, except some of these guys are getting signed to these, you know, long-term contracts. But getting into 20 years of playing, grinding in, granted, the baseball season is long, the training camp, everything, the summer, the media here in New York – the pregame press conferences, the postgame press, the batting cage reps, the the tosses, the catches. So you 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 add all that um, around all the winning and the success here, and um, it's just it's great, man. It's I'm so happy for him, man. It's the same thing when Mariano went, uh, Mariano went into. I called him Mariano, didn't I? I'm married to an Italian. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was the same thing with Mariano uh, going in. I'll keep that in. I'm not going to edit that out, folks. I did call Mariano. No. I won't. I won't take that out. But uh, no. So look, I'm just I'm I'm going on and on here, and everybody who hates Jeter is like really kind of rolling their eyes right now. But look, as a sports fan who grew up living in New York, as a Yankee fan, um, this is just super. It's awesome. And like I said, he did all the work. He did it at the Yankees. Uh, and you're a winner here in New York. You're a winner here forever. Um, and I could go on about Joe Torre and 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 just the the whole. The whole, I mean, the whole timeline is just incredible and all the different players, and, and here we are, and DJ's a big part of that. And I think, last thing I'll just say on that, I think, I don't know if Derek Jeter, I, and I'll throw this back to you real quick, but playing for Joe Torrey, I mean, I think that's just, I think that's a big part of this. Because Torrey coming in here to this team, I think all of those guys playing for him they were able to be successful just lining up with where he was, um, you know, as a grown man and, and being a manager in baseball. But a lot of things lined up. But I don't know if maybe that'll be something we'll never know. But I wonder if Jeter and the rest of these guys would have had as much success if not for playing for Joe Torre all those years. 
No, I think lots of the players would tell you that they wouldn't have. But you're right. I mean, when he got there, cup of tea at the end of 95 and then 96, it was history. Um, but you're right. It was a confluence of perfect circumstances. You had the right manager. And you look at those early teams. You know, Mariano was a failed starter thrown in a setup role because John Wetland was closing games out. Uh, you know, so you've got the greatest closer who ever did it setting up for a really damn good closer in his own right. You've got guys like Paul O'Neill who come in. And then as, you know, Bernie Williams was established already at that point. But you've got some older guys that are mixing in with some younger guys. And then, you know, they had to, you know, really build it themselves at some point. And, you know, obviously they brought some other pieces in. But when you look back at it, you know, the only constant, you know, to borrow from Field of Dreams, the only constant through all the years was number two, playing shortstop. And uh, you're right. I, I think you know, for all of the doubters, and I, there's a kid on my son's baseball team who's head over heels in love with Derek Jeter, even though he's young enough that he probably doesn't ever remember seeing him actually play a game. Um, and I give him crap about Jeter's defense and everything else. At the end of the day, <laughs> you know, and, and look, I think you make a great point about playing in New York because we talk about Yadier Molina spending his entire career in St. Louis. And, you know, I somewhat tongue-in-cheek say, you know, Walker, if he played for the Yankees, would have been a bigger deal. And playing for the – but if you spend your whole career with one team, it means something. You know, we saw Tom Brady leave Bill Belichick after almost 20 years and go get a ring somewhere else. Um, and I think Tom Brady is, you know, I think the best comp in professional sports to Derek Jeter uh, over the last 30 years when you consider, you know, what he's been able to do in a different sport, but, you know, when you talk about the seven times going to the dance with Jeter and the number of times that Brady's been to the dance in his career, um, Brady wasn't the rookie of the year. He didn't come in with the halo over his head, but when you talk about sustained excellence, I think that those are the two guys that you look at as being kind of the comps in different sports, but playing for the Yankees is different. You've got the busts out beyond the center field wall. And you have the echoes of Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig and Joe DiMaggio and Mickey Mantle and Whitey Ford and Yogi Berra. It's a lot to live up to. And if you play your entire career with the Chicago Cubs, it's not the same as the Yankees. Mm -hmm. Yadier Molino played his entire career with the St. Louis Cardinals, a storied franchise. It's not the same as the Yankees. Some of these guys out in L.A. will play the majority of their careers maybe all of their careers, if you're Bellinger and Bueller, with the Dodgers in L.A. It ain't the Yankees. And we've seen other guys like Randy Johnson, infamously, Hall of Famer, go to the Yankees. Didn't work. And the lights are brighter for good and bad. And to your point about Derek Jeter being the captain, there were good days. There were a lot of good days. But there were some bad days, too. Yep. Especially at the end when people are talking about moving him to second base to make room for Didi. And whether or not he could still do it every day. At 40 years old, he played 145 games. You know, whether or not he could do it those last few years, people were still doubting him. And he still showed up every day. He answered the bell, sat in front of the mics, answered the questions. And the lights were, I would argue contextually, with the age 
of media explosion that has taken place between the late 80s and where we are today. The lights were brighter on Derek Jeter than they were on Joe DiMaggio or Mickey Mantle or Whitey Ford or Yogi Berra or even Reggie Jackson or even Donnie Baseball, mm-hmm. Don Mattingly, now his ma- now who now works for Derek Jeter in Miami, ironically enough. <laughs> um, but the lights were never as bright because there weren't as many lights. There wasn't 24 hours paying attention to who you're dating. There wasn't 24 hours of, you know, where you're partying at night. Page six was page six, but it wasn't coming out at 11 o'clock at night. If you walked out of the wrong nightclub and got in the wrong car with the wrong person, Uh, Derek Jeter uh, carried himself with, you know, a level of class and prestige in a time where the lights were brighter and there was a higher volume of those lights on him than anyone in Yankee history. And I think, for anybody that can, you know, there there are things that you can say about Jeter's career and you can diminish it and say he wasn't the best shortstop, he wasn't whatever. He was. He can't hear you because his five world champions oh, we're rings getting are jammed in his ears. <laughs> well, I tell Ronick to shut up. I like it. My rings are caught in my ears. I can't hear it. Uh, no, but look. He was the ca- he was the captain. And, and, and real quick, Tab, you know when when Wah said that to Jeremy Roenick, that was the year I was in Colorado, baby. That there you series. go. It was great stuff. Look at this karma coming back. Ninety five nine. There it is. But no, I mean, they, at the end of the day, when you say the captain in sports at large, everywhere, when you say the captain, you probably think of maybe like three people. Over the last 30 years, Jeter, Iserman, and maybe Jonathan Taves to a much Come smaller Come on. No, no. It's Jeter, Messier, and Joe Namath. Come on, man. There's there's the New York <laughs> bias. East Coast bias here on Line Drive Radio. No, no. But when you say the captain, <laughs> in baseball, it's one guy, number two. So, um, you know, here at Line Drive Radio, uh, we tip our caps, uh, mine being from a travel tournament, and Paul's having the overlapping N and Y, not surprisingly. <laughs> um, we tip our caps to Marvin Miller, the late uh, labor leader who changed the face of professional sports, the long overdue Ted Simmons. Uh, the long overdue Larry Walker, and the finally, it feels like it's been forever, but it hasn't. It is on time as it always was for number two, Derek Jeter. Uh, we tip our caps to those being enshrined in Cooperstown, New York later today. Good stuff. Great to look back at these guys, uh, the memories and the, and the stats and everything else. So, look, good stuff. Um, we're coming up here on 12 o'clock Eastern time here. Uh, on Lawn Drive Radio, and and we hope you guys will will come back here and and, and reflect with us as uh, you know the ceremony starts the ceremony starts here in about ninety minutes, and um, but it's it's just great to uh, to talk about this. That's why we love doing this show, man, and we love the game, we love the players. They're the guys who make the stories. Um, so we're we're incredibly happy and and love the players who are playing the game right now. We got a great season going on, and we also love to talk about the guys who have um, just brought us so much joy and and just great storylines over the past and with that said 
We will now switch on over to Tabs Fantasy Adam. Woo! From the past to the present. Because <laughs> with less than 30 games left, me and Tab are looking for some cash, baby. So what do you got for us today, buddy? Oh, here we go. If you are desperately looking for someone to save your soul in fantasy baseball at this point in the game, God bless you for doing it. But if you're looking for somebody to get hot at the right time and Wander Franco is not available, this week's Fantasy Ad of the Week comes to you from the great city of Detroit, a great historic franchise in its own right, on its way back, hopefully to prominence. Uh, but a former Cubs prospect, uh, Jamer Candelario, first base, third base eligibility, uh, over the last week, he's got a 467 on base percentage with two jacks, seven runs batted in, as many walks, four as strikeouts. Uh, he's getting on base. He's making things happen. He's scoring runs. He's driving in runs. Uh, and he is available in 66% of Yahoo Fantasy Leagues. So if you're if you're in desperation mode right now and you got somebody who's sitting because they're getting ready for the playoffs or just tweak something because of the grind and you need somebody on the corner of your infield, and Frank the Tank Schwindel, who we offered a couple weeks ago, uh, is not on your active roster. Look to Detroit, Mr. Candelario, uh, as this week's Line Drive Radio Fantasy Ad of the Week. I like it. Amor, unbelievable. We got to do a show on all the names in baseball. I think I brought that up earlier in the season. We were going. That's why right, we were looking at the, uh, the future stars at the uh, All-Star break, and it was just some incredible – Baseball names. You got another one here. There you go, folks. There have always been great names in baseball. Let's. Not, I would be remiss if I don't remind fans who are north of 100 years old that at one point uh, a star in Major League Baseball was Urban Shocker. <laughs> go find him on Baseball Reference, kid. It's real. <laughs> no doubt it's real. And like I said, we were just talking about Larry Walker's teammates. Dante Bichette, baby. Andres Galaga. How many of his teammates have kids playing uh, for the Toronto Blue Jays right now? Right? And where are his kids? I don't know. Let's find out. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Well, there it is, folks. Another line drive radio is in the books as we fire up the sprinklers, dry out the infield, turn off the lights, shut down the concessions, lock the gates. And move on. So, check out, you know, like, Tab brought it up before. For all you Derek Jeter fans, if you haven't seen it yet, whatever time you tune into this episode, if you haven't yet, go to the Yank social media. There's five five minutes and 39 seconds of just Jeter magic. And again, respects to Larry Walker, Ted Simmons, Bob Miller going in today. Enjoy it. It's always great stuff to, uh, it's a great tradition. Baseball Hall of Fame. So, uh, great to talk about today with you, Tab. So, as always, folks, thank you so much for listening, tuning in. Um, supporting us. Go to at Line Drive Radio everywhere. Follow me and Tab on the Twitter. You get our accounts there, at Line Drive Radio on Twitter. And until next week, uh, we'll have more to talk about as the wild card races and the division stuff shakes out a little bit. So until then, Tab, say good day to folks. Well, as we've said, hockey season is coming close. In honor of Larry Walker going into the Hall of Fame, spend a few moments today and learn the lyrics to O Canada. <laughs> <laughs> and then go watch a minor league game, get the glove out, have a catch with your kid. Enjoy the game, folks. Absolutely. FDNY NYPD, Thursday night, Madison Square Garden, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on ESPN2. Check that out as well. Take care, folks. Play ball.
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.